What do you want? Screaming Queens. Listen, I am two seconds away from calling the police. Screaming Queens Horror Podcast. What do you want? Screaming Queens Horror Podcast to your death! Something is trying to get inside my body, and you want to sleep with me. Better give me those shoes, then mine give them back to me. Be sure to tell the young woman that mother sends regards. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. Hey, shouldn't you be folding towels somewhere, sniffing jockstrap? It rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. But it certainly will be a nice little surprise when Richard comes home to find a little girl in the house. I see no manhood between your legs. We are the weirdos, mister. I can see your dirty fellows. It was an asylum! And it was hell! 20 years of pure hell! We have such sights to show you. To a new world of gods and monsters. Hello and welcome to Screaming Queens, the queer horror podcast. My name is Jonathan Larkin and today I'm joined again in a very repetitive manner by um, writer Steve Hughes. Hello, Steve. Hi, Jonathan. How are you? Uh, I'm all right. I'm okay. We're coming out of uh, we're coming out of lockdown. Back into tier two. Yes, and then maybe um, yeah, we'll all get injected next month or something. Yeah. Yes, yes, and um, uh, I keep thinking it's called the the Pfeiffer. Like Michelle Pfeiffer vaccine, is about, it like it, Pfizer or something? It would be better if it was. I, I would trust if it if it was Michelle Pfeiffer. Would <laughs> be an injection with Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, so yeah, um, things are starting to brighten up a little bit. Hopefully, well, you know, light at the end of the tunnel. We were just saying, wait, maybe before we came on the line that um, we're both trying to go on holiday. Oh God, yeah, just yeah. I, I haven't. I didn't. Think, yeah, I haven't been away at all this year. Yeah, well, I suppose nobody has really, unless you went before March. But yeah, just to get on a plane and just to get some sun and a different, a different environment rather than your own house. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you'll probably hate me even more than you already do now. But uh, I was quite lucky because in January I went to Budapest for New Year. Then I went to Lisbon, Rome, and Venice. So you're Poland. probably you're probably the reason. <laughs> <laughs> I was in Italy. I was literally, I left Italy two weeks before they said, if you've just been to Italy, um, you need to get tested immediately. So I think I just about missed it. Right. Good. Good. I had a lucky escape. Don't forget, Screaming Queens is supported by Horrified, the website that celebrates and champions British horror. It covers films, television, books, fiction and more. You can visit Horrified at horrifiedmagazine.co.uk and find them on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at horrifiedmag. But last time you were on, we talked. We talked about the fan with Lauren Bacall. And we had a great old time, and we we had a chat afterwards, didn't we? And said that we'd like to do more together, and also talk about because both of us, me and Steve, both write television, and a, a lot of our love of horror was born out of TV horror, wasn't it? Yep, yep, absolutely. Um, so we said that we'd like to come back and talk a little bit more about small screen horror, especially British small screen horror as well. Um, I think that's that's like an interesting uh, area to explore and not that many people talk about it that much. I mean, apart from um, the people I, I follow on Twitter, I mean you. Um, yeah, and, yeah apart, from, um, apart from freaks like us. Freaks like us, TV writers, gay TV writers of a certain age. <laughs> it's probably the, the core demographic here. But... Um, could you remember, Steve, could you remember from your way back in the midst of time to when you were young, so back in the 40s? How dare you? Could, could you remember your first uh, flirtation with TV horror? 
Yes, I can. And it's what we're going to talk. It's, I don't think it was this episode necessarily. Okay. It was it was an episode of Thriller, the ATV oh, wow. series. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it was on on. I think I might have said this last time we, we we talked, but it was on Saturday nights on ITV. I think it was nine or ten o'clock, and my mum and dad went out, and I used to beg my brother and sister to let me stay up to watch it, and then <laughs> they didn't. And then the first time they did, I just regretted it so much because I was terrified. Oh, utterly! And I think I must have been about seven, seven or eight. Yeah. Um, but it was. It was this. And then a few years later, when I was older, um, there was stuff like Children of the Stones and yeah. um, Tales of the Unexpected and Arm- Armchair Thriller, was, yeah. was uh, which I loved. Which, madly, thinking about it now, Armchair Thriller was on at 8 o'clock on ITV. And, you know, they were really scary. Yeah, yeah. Was that the one with the Quiet as a Nun series? It was, yeah, yeah. And the I've fe- seen that. The first one was called Rachel in Danger, which which was really, really good as well. And then Darren, me, my husband, remember, which I, I don't remember this, but he remembers one where somebody injected, I think it was shit, into a box of chocolates. Oh, my God. That sounds amazing. I know. And this was 8 o'clock on ITV. <laughs> Well, to be fair, Steve, we have uh, we've, we both write on a show that uh, had someone shit in a box and have it delivered to their enemy at six thirty p.m. That's, that's right. We I forgot about that. We did. <laughs> um, my first memory of TV horror, and it really did shit me up, was Hammer House of Horror. Yeah, loved it. And that was actually, I think, it was screened the year I was born. So it wouldn't have been then, but it would have been when it was repeated. Probably when I was about eight or nine, maybe. And it was the episode called Two Faces of Evil. And it's where a family pick up a hitchhiker in the middle of like a... Oh my God, yeah, it's the the nail, isn't it? Big, long nail. I've always had this fear of of like extraordinarily long fingers and fingernails and black fingernails and stuff. Um, And I think it's born. I was watching this when I was a kid. And And we, we, we watched that in during lockdown again. And the hospital... The go to the the main couple go to after the car crash is so scary, isn't it? It's really disturbing, and is that a, it looks like a set as well? Yeah, I, I think it is, but yeah, it's it's like a set. It's dead sterile. The doctors mm. and the head nurse. Yeah, just yeah. it's got a bit of a shining vibe to it, hasn't it? It's yeah, really, yeah, it's all off kilter. Really strange, and yeah, that so that that one really freaked me out, and um, that 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 would be me first. Proper memory, I think, of being a kid and watching stuff on telly that really scared me. But speaking of Tales of the Unexpected, you fucking scarred me for life. Like, literally about six months ago when you introduced me to was the Flypaper. The Flypaper, yeah. Episode, which I'd never seen before. So I think we'll come back to that at a later episode. We'll, we'll discuss it properly because I feel like that's such a dark piece of TV. I, I, I think that is... I, I love lots of the, lots of the Tales of the, Un, the Unexpected. But um, by far, that is the best one. And it's so, it's so disturbing. Yeah. Did, I, did I tell you, um, a friend told me that when it was originally on, um, the next day in school, everyone was talking about it. And then, have I told you this? You'd have to tell, tell us again. So. Yeah, everyone yeah. In, in their school was talking about it. And they couldn't believe how <laughs> horrific the ending is. And then uh, this girl said said to my friend Gareth, um, but it, it's okay. I'm, I'm sure 
it'll all be all right next week. And he said, <laughs> no, it was a one-off. There's no part two, that's it. And he so said, the, like, yeah, I think she's she was disturbed for months afterwards. The ending was so downbeat, she thought it was a cliffhanger and it'd be resolved. <laughs> yeah, because it is. It's got, it, it, that is one of the bleakest, it most is, horrific yeah. endings of anything. Yeah. Well, speaking of talking about school the next day, you just reminded me. So the other thing that really scarred me as a kid was Ghost Watch. Yeah, yeah. Which, we, we watched that again over Halloween. Yeah. Um, and I remember watching that. I think I think I would have been 11. My mum and dad went out to the pub. They left me, my big brother, and my little brother, who was like two in the cot. And... Um, but my big brother was always scared of horror. So I was like his little brother who used to terrify him by making him watch these things. And he went to bed. So I was left up on my own watching Ghost Watch solo. And I was terrified by it. And I remember going into school the next day or the Monday after, because it was on on a Friday. And went in on Monday and it was all any of the kids were talking about. And did you think it was real? Um, no, I don't. I think. I think... I think I thought what everyone else thought was that it was real for the first hour or so. And then once sort of special effects started kicking in, I realised that it was probably a fit, like, you know, in my head I was I was yeah. compartmentalising it as a film. However, it still terrified me. Yeah, yeah, because cause, cause I, we, were, we were a bit older, but when, when we watched it, we were the same. It was like, it's obviously, it's obviously not real. And one of the people one of the real people in it we knew as an actress we'd seen her in a play so yeah it was clearly not real but it just it just got into your head didn't it and it was just like this is yeah it's all so weird and frightening (laughs) because because the the stuff that they did supposedly the, the the ghostly goings on in the house were really frightening yeah totally um so we uh so Basically, Ghostwatch, I feel like, has now become a bit of a legend with British horror fans. And um, Tales of the Unexpected is still repeated today on Sky. It's it, that's when, when you talk about old anthology thrillers, Tales of the Unexpected is probably the most famous one in, in on UK television. Yeah, yeah. Um, so nobody really, you know, the majority of people don't really remember very well the, the TV series that we're going to discuss today. No, no, I think, um, I think, yeah. yeah, I think it's unless you're really into your into your horror or you're a bit yeah. older, you won't remember it. So basically, Thriller was a anthology series and it consisted of um, hour-long uh, TV plays. So when we talk about Tales of the Unexpected, they were all half an hour, but Thriller was the full hour. In fact, it was when you watch them now on, on DVD, they're a little bit longer than an hour, aren't they? For like an hour and 10 minutes. Yeah, and then if you watch... The American versions, they're even a little bit longer because they do much longer opening titles for them. So Thriller came about when writer Brian Clemens, who wrote things like The Avengers and The Professionals, and he he actually wrote the horror movie on Soon the Darkness as well, and that blind terror with Mia Farrow, he approached Michael Grade with an idea for a production of his own. And Michael Grade's uncle was Lou Grade, who was the head of ITC, and they, they went to him with the idea. And basically... He liked the idea, and eventually Brian was commissioned to write, I think it was four scripts at first, which then became 10, and then ended up becoming 40, well, there were 43 episodes in all. It was a six-season show. It ran from 1973 to 1976, and, you know, so that's 43 short horror thriller movies on TV, on British TV. 
And I think the basis of it was, you know, it was going to be an anthology show and it was all going to be thrillers and with a bit of a horror edge to some of them, but it wouldn't rely on, you know, graphic violence and blood and gore. That was becoming more and more popular on film. This was very much a TV animal, so it was more about the psychological aspect of it. How many of them have you seen? I would imagine I've I've seen over half. I, I'd say probably about 25, 30. Oh, wow, that's, that's a lot. I think I've probably seen about 10, 15 so far. Because um, some of them I saw at the time, and I remember, and then they were repeated on, I forget which channel, I think it was ITV, actually late at night when I was about 16, 17. So I watched some of them then, and then I've got the I've got the DVD. So of course. I've been dip, yeah. dipping in back into them. Uh, Lou Gray made an international uh, deal with American Network ABC, so they would screen Thriller, but the only stipulation off the back of that is, as anyone who's watched it will notice, there always has to be an American in, in each episode. And uh, it's funny when you read the synopses of the episodes, because a lot of them start with an American girl visiting the UK. An, an American girl visiting the UK, played by Donna Mills. Played by Donna Mills, yeah. And there's, uh, who's the other one? Who's it? It's Pamela Franklin is in quite a lot of them as well, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, she's oh. yeah, she's in a, in a yeah. I, I saw I saw a couple of hers and during lockdown again. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's why the, you you often will get like an American in there who's you know an outsider visiting an unknown country and you know that they're, they're stalked, murdered, raped, haunted, you name it. Um, and uh, it's yes, yeah, so the premise of most of them is a lot of them are sort of quite Hitchcockian, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah there's the one set on a train that's got like spies and terrorists and stuff. Yeah, do you know, I haven't watched that one again, um, actually, yeah. but I did. There's an, there's another one set on a train, do you know, they probably just used the same set, didn't they? It was, yeah, case of, yeah. yeah, to save money. There was another one set on a train that was really quite spooky as well. So speaking of trains, there's a great scene. So each episode opens with like a teaser, doesn't it? So it sort of sets the scene. And there's an episode that I watched, one of the first ones I ever watched, and it sort of sealed my love for the show because I screamed at the telly when she said it. But it's called Screamer, and um, it's about a kill, there's like a killer slash rapist on the loose. And uh, this young girl, I think it's Pamela Franklin again, plays a character called Nicola Stevens. Um, and it, it opens with her on a, on a train, and they're reading about this rapist. Uh, it's in the paper. And she's sat at a train compartment with, with like, a, an older well-to-do lady. And um, they're the, the, the talking about this rapist being on the loose. And the older lady says, rape, my dear. I suppose if it happened at my age, I could take it as a compliment. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I think that was one of the first ones I saw. And I thought, right, okay, this is the show for me. <laughs> Anything that's that non-PC and stuck at its time you know it's like catnip isn't it really yeah yeah and then she goes i know i know we're not going to talk about that episode but then she yet she goes to stay with her friends doesn't she and then she's does she is it is it she keeps thinking she sees she can see the man who raped her is that yeah so she's yeah yeah basically so she gets so she gets off i mean if you're into old-fashioned trains and train stations this series is like porn for you isn't it as oh well. my so she, god yeah it's just fabulous so and she I, gets off the train in this little this little sort of southern counties town and it's it's and it's, it's dark there's nobody there dark. i think there's yeah. i think there's a scary station master or something isn't there probably yeah and she gets so yeah so she's the next she's the next victim of the rapist but she so so from there on in she sees him everywhere she thinks every person every man she sees is the man who raped her um, and it sort of spirals from there um but so the, the, 
the the episodes kind of take more of a thriller angle than a horror thriller than a horror angle, don't they? Yeah. So there's always you know there's a killer on the loose, there's a rapist on the loose, there's espionage, there's someone trying to bump off his wife, um, there's somebody being stalked or getting funny phone calls. It's that kind of thing. But a few of them did veer down the supernatural route as well. Right. Yeah, that that's right. And the one we're going to talk about now does just that, doesn't it? It does, yeah, it does. It's it's absolutely brilliant. So this episode is from series four, and it's called Nurse Will Make It Better, and it was screened in 1975. And basically, it's uh, the story is, Charlie Harrow, the daughter of an American diplomat, Edgar, breaks her back in a rising accident. Confined to bed, Charlie is not the world's easiest patient, petulantly fighting off every nurse that tries to help her, and kicking her legs quite a lot for someone who's broken their back. Anyway, her family are at a loss as to how to deal with her. Enter nurse Bessie Morn. Picture Mary Poppins if she put on a few stone, grew a hairy wart and wore a bad wig. She's here to solve all of Charlie's problems. Her rather unique bedside manner results in Charlie's miraculous recovery, but there's a price, Charlie's soul. As things get increasingly satanic, and I think a little bit lesbian, nurse Bessie turns her attention to Charlie's little sister Susie. Will middle sister Ruth stop nurse Bessie before she destroys their family? Let's hope not. (laughs) This play opens with uh, a religious zealot called Mr. Lyle, played by Patrick Troughton. Um, and he, he lies in the bed having nightmares about fire and brimstone, whilst being surrounded by placards with things like the MDs and I written on them. He dreams of a well-dressed society lady murdering someone with a fiery stake. What struck me here was that so Patrick Troughton is basically playing the same character that he plays in The Omen. Exactly. I, I thought the same thing. And he's also, I mean, it's a cameo, isn't it? He's very underused. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he is, and he's. Um, what's very strange is his name doesn't come up in the credits at the beginning either. I know, I know. You think, you, you know, you would, you would think he would be what he would be. He would get really good billing, and well, he doesn't. He's, yeah, yeah. He so did the, the, the. I think they made this just before though. I think this came out like a year before the Omen, as well. Because right. the Omen was seventy six. Yeah, it did. It, it, yeah. The Omen was nineteen seventy six, wasn't it? And this this will have been seventy five, I think. Yeah, it was 75. But wasn't Patrick Tratton quite famous by now anyway? Was he Doctor Who yet? Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah, he, he was He was the second Doctor Who. So right. I yeah. think he did Doctor Who late, very late 60s and early 70s, just before John Pertwee. Right, okay. So, yeah. So he so he wakes up screaming, and then a scarred man comes begging him for help, but he's like, you know, I can't help you, look. And then he reveals scars of his own all over his chest. So that's so we were saying before that these episodes open with a teaser. So that's the teaser for this one. So automatically you're like, what the hell is going on? You know, it's probably something quite satanic if there's a drunken priest involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then that's when we sort of move to the American diplomat's house. So this is like the setting for the whole piece. Um, and I love that it's one of those seventies productions where it's a country house and we see like a quite a gorgeous exterior, but then the interiors bear no relation whatsoever <laughs> to what we see outside. The, the windows are all wrong, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny because as well, it's a bit like um, we were watching 
Tenko Series 3 last week. And you know that scene where Marion goes home to her house and it goes from film to video, really, obviously. Yeah. Um, but she's meant to still be outside the house on the porch. <laughs> it's a little bit like that. It's the fact that they, they film things completely different in studio. So that that, that film and video thing in, in old stuff, it just it it just jars, doesn't it? It just it just yeah. takes you out of what you're watching. Yeah, yeah. Um so we've got so this is where we meet the family. So we've got the American diplomat, Edgar, and his three daughters. So Charlie there's Charlie, Ruth, and Susie. Susie's got that weird frizzy hair going on. Um and she's about to be sixteen, but she acts like she's twelve and looks like she's thirty. Yeah, it's yeah, it's like there's something something wrong with her really, isn't it? Yeah. yeah <laughs> to be on PC. We we were watching um some of the extras on Friday the thirteenth, the original. And oh, yeah. It's a Betsy Palmer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. when she talks about him, <gasps> she, she says, and she, 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 she says the word on a few interviews, but she's talking about she created a backstory in her head yes. for, for her son, Jason, and then the, the director showed her a picture of the actor who was going to be playing him in, in the film. And he was a bit odd, isn't he? And, she's, oh. and she said, oh, my God, what's wrong with him? And the director <laughs> went, well, he's a mongoloid. <laughs> That's terrible. We don't condone that kind of speak at all, but it's also highly hilarious. It is, and it's very, it's very of its time, isn't it? Well, that's it, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so uh, Charlie goes out riding on a new mare that her husband bought her, and she, uh, but she, she prefers to try out the male horse, and uh, she says, "I never met a male I couldn't handle." Good line. It's a good line. It's relatable. And then, um, so the, the 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 horse obviously chucks her over the hedge and she breaks her back. And uh, we cut very quickly to Charlie going crazy and chucking things at her nurse. And uh, the nurse flees. And as she goes out, she passes a sort of hairy mould, dumpy Mary Poppins with an evil glint in her eye, complete with a suitcase. And um, she knocks at the door and when they answer, she says, Mr. Harrow, the agent said, the agency sent me, I'm the new nurse. So she's Elizabeth Morn, but I like people to call me Bessie. And she's played by the one and only uh, Marilyn Monroe of the home counties, Diana Dawes. Oh, God love her. So I didn't know much about Diana Dawes before I watched this. Um, ben is a big fan. He loves her. Right. Um, and I love the fact that her real name is Diana Fluck. I know, that's great, <laughs> isn't it? Um, born 1931, died 1984. And I, so I knew nothing about all of these legends about her sex parties. Oh my God, yeah, with the with the mirrored ceilings and, um, all, yeah, people watching. It was like a big voyeur thing, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this is all according to Wikipedia, but... Apparently, from like the mid fifties right up until like the early eighties, she was she was renowned for for these sex parties. Because I think Bob um, Monkhouse used to go to them as well, didn't he? He did, yeah, Bob Monkhouse. And um, so they were, you know, the the kind of uh, the A list actors of the time would go to these sex parties, uh, and she'd she'd have would they pay to go to them or would they just turn up? I don't. I don't think they paid. I, th- I think it was all just. It was just for fun. No profit. Yeah. No. Well, yeah. I mean, and so she used to uh, apparently set up eight millimeter cameras in the rooms to film what was going on, and then she watched them back afterwards. 
Oh my god! I mean, I just—I mean, if if I didn't love her anyway, I'd love her even more after that. Yeah. But you—I don't think because because you said you didn't know much about her, you can't underestimate how big a star she was in England yeah. when I was growing up. She was yeah. everywhere, um, and I think I think it's quite sad, really, because I mean, she died very young, didn't she? Um, she was only in her mid fifties, I think. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she she put from being like a, a sex pot in Hollywood, and when she, when she came back to England, she put a lot of weight on, didn't she? And yeah, um, do you, you you won't remember this, but she had a slot on TVAM, then one of the UK's breakfast shows at the time, where she I, I just remember it was like a diet thing, but then I looked it up, and it was basically she wanted to lose fifty two pounds before her fifty second birthday. And she did it. She did it over a number of weeks on TV, TV AM, encouraging the viewers to lose weight with her. But she and did she did she manage it? Like I, I think she, she did. Yeah, I think. I oh think wow! She did I think then she put it all back on? Um, so it's quite. It's a. It's a sort of very British thing, isn't it? To go from being, um, to go from being sort of a Jane Mansfield style sex symbol to then being you, being sort of TV AM uh, horny old auntie. Yeah, yeah, and, but I, I, I think she was just quite interesting. Some of the roles she took because you know, you know, she's in that brilliant film Yield to the Night, um, which I think she got a Best Actress award at Cannes. Um, right. Then yeah. she did did she came back to England did the sexy you know Confessions of a Window Cleaner type films. Yeah, and yeah. still being glamorous, but then in this, she's she's the opposite of glamour isn't she you know she's got she's got a gray wig on a mole it's i i I think she she actually just thought i don't give a fuck i'll this is a good part i'll I'll do it well she famously played charlotte in the 1948 version of um oliver twist as well so she was clearly a versatile actress i mean she was only about 16 17 when she did that as well god um and then she had that she has a great little sort of cameo role in theater of blood with vincent price as well oh she does yeah but she's like someone's uh, slutty cheating wife um that's what she's great in that she's great fun in that she seemed like a game bird exactly she just seemed it, it, yeah she she just seemed fun and it's like if you were working with her or you were her friend you know it would always be a good time wouldn't it she was also in the Hammer House of Horror episode, Children of the Full Moon, which is about werewolves. She was really good in that. And um, one of her last appearances um, was in the Adam and the Ants music video for Prince Charming in 1981. Oh, of course, yeah. So, again, I think that might have introduced her to a younger audience because that was number one for weeks. It would have been on top of the yeah. pops every Thursday. Yeah. She also released, um, she also released uh, music as well. You know, of course, and she she did like quite a few few albums and stuff. I think one of them was called Swinging Doors, which no one we know doors. now. <laughs> That's fucking brilliant. But after we've done this, just go on YouTube and look up Dinah Doors. Where did they go? And it's just it's a song from maybe a couple of years before she died, and it's like where yeah. did they go? All the good times and all the fun we used oh. to have, and it's 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 lovely. It's it's absolutely oh. lovely. Well, we love a we love a faded diva singing about the past, don't we? Yep. Let's face it. I'll, uh, yeah, I might I might actually include that on this episode. So she, yeah, in this role, she completely goes against goes against type, doesn't she? So she's not blonde, she's not glamorous, she's not sexual. Well, she sort of is in a way sexual. I think a little bit creepy. Yeah, um, yeah, in a creepy lesbian way, like you yeah. But she's really so she's sort of dowdied up. She's she's bigger. She's got the mole. She's got that hair. The wig in some 
scenes looks purple to me. I think it's supposed to be grey, but it goes a bit purpley. I think the, I, I think like there's Harry, a couple of wigs there, wasn't there? There probably was, yeah. Um, so she's a, so we get to see straight away that Bessie is a tad unorthodox when within two minutes of her meeting Charlie, she punches her square in the jaw to knock her out <laughs> and stop her ranting. <laughs> It's again. It's just. It's it's marvelous because it's so shocking. It really is. You, you really gasp, um, and we hear there's been seven nurses in as many weeks. Um, here we really meet the other sister, Ruth. So Ruth is played by Andrea Marchevici, and I don't really know much about her. No, but um, she gets top billing. I think doesn't she? I she does. Yeah, she does. Um, oh right, so she she appeared in so she was she had a small part in that Netflix horror last year, Velvet Buzzsaw. Did she? Oh God, so she's still going. Yeah, yeah. So apparently she pops up in that. Um, oh, she popped up in Sybil, the Sybil Shepherd sitcom from the nineties, which I loved. Oh, I used to like that. Yeah, but Christine Berinsky. Oh God, yeah, what a woman. Um, she was in things like Magnum PI, so she's an American actress. So yeah, so she plays Ruth. Um, oh, she was also in a TV movie in 1973 called Cry Rape, Sands Up Street. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so she plays Ruth, Andrea Markovici, and she is um, sort of uh, preppy. And she's a bit suspicious of Bessie at first. And then Beth- Bessie swiftly tells her who's boss by telling her to move out of Charlie's bedroom and saying she, she wants to sit at the dinner table with the family. So Bessie isn't a subtle person at all. No, what Be- what Bessie wants, Bessie gets. Yeah, exactly. Then you've got um, you've got Susie, the younger sister, um, and she is played by Tiffany Kinney, uh, and she's who we were talking about before. So she's got that sort of strange, sort of curly, afro-y, frizzy hair style. Yeah, um, and also we should mention so Charlie Harrow. Who's, who's bedridden, she is played by Linda Lyles. Uh, and she was also in, she popped up at the Tales of the Unexpected as well. Nurse will make it better. When Nurse Bessie meets Susie, she says, oh, she's 16, such a susceptible age. <laughs> hey, Ruth, Ruthie, boy just asked me for a date. Who are you? I'm Bessie, your sister's new nurse. And you must be Susie. That's right. You're about 16, right? And three months. (laughs) 16 is such a lovely, susceptible age. Um, And then we meet Carson, a security man, and he's got a dog that's automatically suspicious of Bessie. So obviously when you see uh, a dog growling at a character in a a play like this, you know automatically it's a sign that they're evil. Um, And so she sees them as threats straight away, so we know she's going to have to see them off in some way or another. Um, I, but we see like a warm, kind side to her, don't we? When she's with Casey on her own, and she tells, she basically says to her, once you start to believe, things will be different. Um, but obviously she's got a big wart on her chin and snarls at the dog, so we know that the shit she wants Casey to believe probably isn't good. Yeah, she kills the dog. Um, but she doesn't do it in the most low-key way, does she? So from the sounds of creaking and Carson looking up in horror, it's obvious that she's hanged the dog from the tree. And I, know, and I know she, yeah, she just didn't, you know, she could have been a lot more subtle, but she did it as a big showpiece, doesn't she? She does, yeah. And um, and then afterwards at the dinner table, everyone's like traumatised and silent. And she's licking her spoon clean going, well, he was probably worrying sheep. <laughs> <laughs> she's so brazen. 
Um, so there's nothing. There is nothing subtle about the way the story's told. There's nothing subtle about the way that they that it's plays at all. They can like hear her cackling through the ceiling while she's upstairs with Charlie. Um, and then she's telling Charlie that they're going to be soulmates and all that sort of stuff. And she sits, I love that she sits in a rocking chair smoking an old man's pipe. I know, I know, the pipe is just amazing, isn't it? And she says, my pipe, I can only enjoy it in private. Much too masculine for public use. <laughs> so obviously we're getting big. I think, um, I don't know if it was just me, but I was getting big lesbian vibes as well. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, so she's got Casey reading a book. We don't see the cover properly, but it's obviously satanic. And um, <laughs> uh, Carson, the security guard, runs a check on her and says there's no birth certificate, just an uninterrupted lineage that makes her older than Methuselah. Uh, <laughs> um, and then um, in quite a short space of time, Charlie's on the mend, isn't she? And this is signified by uh, she's suddenly got a new hairdo. She's got a wave in her hair. She's got colour in her cheeks and a smile on her face. Yeah. And we wonder, what is Bessie doing to put a spring in her step? And then we sort of, we get a little insight into what's going on because we see Bessie performing some sort of ritual where she's like pouring blood into a bowl. And then she's fluttering her eyes and groaning in ecstasy. Uh, the ritual causes gusts of wind to tear through the house, all kinds of wild, supernatural podcast type activity. And then there's suddenly a scream, and Charlie's up on her feet in a dusky rose pink feather sleeve dressing gown. <laughs> And then someone says, thank God. And Diana Dawes says, God, <laughs> with a cocky smile. <laughs> I know, again, subtle she ain't. She ain't. So um, Charlie's boyfriend, Simon, he can't believe the miracle and he comes running and um, he even proposes off the back of it. And she says, yes. But whilst they celebrate, Ruth and Carson smell a rat. Edgar, on the other hand, is totally won over with Bessie and doesn't want it to move on, even though Casey's better. So we see Bessie say she has got no intention of moving on yet. She still has a little weird Afro Susie to corrupt. Yes. 
I, I think queer audiences and straight audiences do, do, do love to see a stuck-up straight middle-class family get their routine completely thrown out. Yeah, yeah. And, and the like thing is, see... she does. Nurse Bessie does. You know, it's called Nurse Will Make It Better, and she's, you know, she does help Charlie, doesn't she? Well, yeah. Totally. True to her word. This is where it goes. This is where it goes really, really gothic and haywire, isn't it? Ruth finds the Satanic Bible, and then she's like, "Hmm," and she so she decides to test Bessie by saying, "Oh, could you deliver this letter to my father?" And Bessie's like, "Oh, well, where is he?" And Ruth says, "Oh, he's at church. Could you take it to the church?" So she's obviously tested it to see if that freaks her out. And then Bessie's like, "Oh, yes, of course I will," but then pretends to hurt her ankle to get out of going. Um, so Ruth is, you know, onto it, basically. She goes snooping in Bessie's past and she, she tracks down Bessie's last employer, who's Mrs. Fuller. And then it turns out so she is the woman that we saw attacking someone in the teaser clip. Yeah. Quite quickly, Mrs. Fuller goes insane and tries to throw Ruth into a fire. Yeah, because because she's, <laughs> she's possessed now, isn't she? Yeah. So is this what Bessie does? Then she goes from family to family and possesses, you know, puts the devil into people and then moves on. I, I, I think so, because cause right near the end, when, when it, you know, when the house is, when, when there's like a sort of an exorcism type thing, she says, doesn't she, when, when they dub her voiceover, I'm the collector, the collector of souls. Souls, yeah. So I think she's working for the devil, isn't she? Yeah, I think so. Um, and and yeah, getting them, getting the, making them evil, and then she moves on to the, yeah. But I, I don't know who tells her where to go or whether she just like sees things in the paper and thinks, so I'll go and <laughs> they're they're ripe for the picking. Well, yeah, because uh, uh, this is there's there's all the similarities to the Omen in this, isn't it? Because in the Omen, Gregory Peck is an American diplomat as well, isn't he? God, he is, yeah, and. And Dinah Dawes's, I mean, it's broader, isn't it? Her character isn't that far removed from Billy Whitelaw's. Exactly. It's very Mrs. Blaylock, isn't it? Going to, going to... Um, going into their home, yeah. Into the home as the nanny and corrupting, although the child's already corrupting the omen, I suppose that's the difference, but, you know, but then, she's like... And the, in the omen, though, the dogs are on the devil's side, aren't they? yeah. But you do wonder, though, don't you, whether there's been any kind of cross-pollination between the two. I mean, the Owen's from a novel, isn't it? So there's every chance that uh, Brian Clemens might have read that novel and got the idea for this. Yeah. But, yeah, 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 but they are, now you've said it, there are big similarities. Mm. Not least of all, Patrick Troughton is in both, playing the same Of course, parts. of course. Um, so, um, playing the here, same character. <laughs> yeah. So here... When we meet Mrs. Fuller, we realise that she was the woman in the in the dream sequence at the beginning attacking someone. And then we meet her husband and we see that he's the man who came to Patrick Trout and asked for help. Uh-huh. He was yeah. also hideously burned and scarred. So here we're left with no doubt, basically, what Bessie's up to. And then we cut straight to Bessie coming into Charlie's bedroom and saying, good news, my lovely, we found a new disciple. And then we see that it's Susie, the younger sister. So yeah. she's converted two of them now. Um, Ruth is 
comes back from her digging around Miss Marple and she wants to find out more. She wants to go into Bessie's room and find out what's going on. So she convinces Bessie to join her and Susie out in the barn so Carson and the security guards can go and have a snoop around in her bedroom. But Bessie's not stupid and she catches him in the act and he finds something concealed in his suitcase that horrifies him. And we never really see what that is, do we? No. and What do you think it is? Do you know? I don't, I don't know, but and I think I think they've been really clever by not by not showing it because it's like you know, is it a dead baby? Is it you know? Is it... It's so funny. We both went to the same thing. I saw I saw a dead baby. That's exactly what I saw. And I th- I think that's probably what they wanted to do because even even back then they probably couldn't show that. So you're just going to yeah. go to the worst possible thing, aren't you? Yeah. Um... You know what, I'm I, I'm developing a backstory in my head for Nurse Bessie and it's that she she pissed off the devil in some way and it killed her baby and that's why she's doing what she does now for him. That's her thing and that, and she carries that. that she carries the baby in her bag. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Totally. Isn't that a great story? See, that's really oh good. God, that's that's really... <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Um, because then you sort of not feel sorry for her, but there's a reason. She's not just evil. Yeah. It's also making me think of the, the Nigel Neal Beasts episode, Baby, as well. You know, the thing that they find in the wall. Yeah, yeah. There's something like that in Bessie's suitcase, I think. Oh, whatever, um, whatever it is, it's shocking. <laughs> yeah, it's shocking. Uh, so he finds whatever it is, and when he, then, but then she turns up, and he tries to shoot Bessie, but she just takes the bullets and doesn't flinch. Yeah, Bessie can't um, die, can she? She can't die. She can't die. And then suddenly Charlie appears and stabs him from behind and kills him. Um, Charlie is now dressed in red, which is the colour of evil. And uh, they basically fake it to make it look like he had a heart attack. So so that's uh, the security man is gone. So Ruth won't have it. Her dad won't listen. He just slams doors and nearly knocks the wobbly sets over whilst little weird Susie giggles at her and runs away. Um, so she, so Ruth turns to Simon, Charlie's boyfriend, for help. There's a really strange scene where they go out in the car and, you know, um, you know that episode of Coronation Street where Reedy Bradshaw goes for a driver's lesson? Oh, without. God, it's, it's horrific, yeah. And you know that you know the way that soaps used to do this, where they'd set up somebody going for an innocuous drive in the countryside, and you the minute they got into a country road, you thought they're going to die in a car crash. Yeah, yeah, we're going to see a, we're going to see a lorry, we're going to see a random lorry in a couple yeah. of shots. Yeah, I mean, but they did that up until the nineties, probably. But in this version, they ramp it up even more, so they don't just go for the drive in the in the countryside. They, there's even awful dialogue of, "I bet you're a really good driver, and I bet you've never once crashed a car, have you?" Oh <laughs> it's like one of your first drafts. It's like one of my my shooters. Like my <laughs> um, so they're going for a really crazy fast drive in the countryside for no reason at all, other than to crash. And um, meanwhile, Susie's back at the ranch dancing like a slut. And drink a full fat coke. Uh, it's just demonic. Um, so the car crash is unseen for budget reasons, we think. <laughs> <laughs> but I know, but we, we see the journey, but we don't see the crash. Yeah. No, no, we don't see the crash. And then um, the ambulance rush her home and set up to the hospital. <laughs> As you do when you're involved in a horrific car crash. <laughs> They've got the sirens on and everything to get her home 
It's really strange. Um, so Ruth is now in a catatonic state and Nurse promises to take, take good care of her. So now Ruth is completely at her mercy. And this is where we get the, the line about I'm the collector of souls. Yeah. And they, they change Betty's voice, don't they? Yeah, yeah. It's the, yeah, they, they, they either alter it or they get, they've got like a, a man to do a spooky voice. It's, it's, it's quite chilling that bit though, isn't it? I think it's genuinely creepy, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we're like, oh no, there's no way out of this for them. But then we realise that Ruth and Simon have set the whole thing up and Ruth isn't really catatonic. She's actually confidence-mentalist. But you know what? I do think to myself, wouldn't Bessie be in the devil's disciple and know that she was faking? <laughs> oh, she'd know that she'd know that it was all... Oh, I see what you mean. I'd never thought of her. Wouldn't she know that Ruth was, was, wasn't was under her spell? Well, she's... Yeah. Well, she's not a mind, or maybe she's a mind reader. Yeah, maybe that is a big hole you've just found. Oh, like the like the one I found in the fan. <laughs> yes. Um. So Ruth sends Simon to get Brother Lyle, Patrick Trouson, and then we get his backstories at me. So we find out he was a brother of charity, um, an order of priests, and there used to be twenty one of them. But every time they meet the collector, it diminishes them, and now he's obviously the only one left. Again, Steve, this is a this is a prequel. Oh God, yeah, the the twenty one collectors, the, the twenty one priests, yeah, yeah. Um, and now he's the only one left. He's a drunken mess clinging to his Bible, and um, there we go. And then, so then, meanwhile, Ruth peeps into that little box of tricks again. We don't see what's there, um, but the finale is. Brother Lyle comes around to the house and it comes down to a face-off between him and Nurse Bessie. And I just think Diana Dawes is fantastic in this bit. She really manages to be camp and OTT, but really convincing and creepy too. Yeah, and I think I, I think she does all that with the terrible effects. Lucifer, Prince of Darkness, one that never dies, I challenge thee. Brother Lyle. Oh, not, brother. I've cast out all sin. Call me not, brother. Cast out. Cast out. Is that what you've done, dear? <laughs> I would say good, but then you know it's not one of my favourite words. You look pale, Brother Lyle, so careworn. Perhaps I... Don't could... touch me. Oh, but I have such healing hands. Don't touch me. Ah, that's a nice book. I've mentioned it several times. It's a good... Oh. There's that word again. Good is such a poor, pious word. Not enough fire and brimstone for my taste. Not enough fire. <laughs> I'm full of party tricks, Brother Lyle. <laughs> full of party tricks, Brother Lyle. Uh, Stay from me, Satan! Oh, come on, dear. I'm part of your nature. The part you like best. No! Ah! Ha! Pain! But pain can be such a pleasure in my world, Devil. dear. And never denied it. Devil! Oh. Not twice, dearie. <sighs> it's sort of like one of the scenes in The Exorcist, isn't it? But made for like £12.50. Exactly, yeah. Bits of, bits of dust and or what, what, yeah. whatever, but yeah, it's... I've seen people describe Thriller as uh, the Primark Hitchcock. Oh my God, that's, that's really good. Yeah, It's really good, but it's it's like, it's, for me, it's a selling point. It's not a bad thing. No, not at all. Yeah. And 
they don't. They have good actors in there who will cost money. And like you said, most of them have got like American stars in. So there's like yeah. probably half the budget on the exactly. on the plane fare in the hotels. And I feel like uh, another thing about in every episode I've seen, the sets, whilst they look like they're from a 70s TV show, they're still quite elaborate and they still look really good. Yeah, yeah, and they're, they're huge, aren't they? They're, they're, they're done like they're done in a, they're done in big studios. Because this but, like the, the, this uh, this interior does not look anything like the exterior, but it's still a big. It still looks like a big country house. Yeah, yeah, and I think they use the ground plans. Um, if if you watch a few back to back, a lot of the plans are sort of the same. So it's a different house, but then yeah. the stairs will be in the same place in the door. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I've noticed there's quite a few where um, there's an apartment with like a dip with a with a sort of pit in the floor. I think so. Have you seen the one set in the blind school? Not yet. No, I was reading about that today. Oh, I'd like to see that. That's that's really good. Dennis Waterman's in that. It, it, again, I can't think what the other episode is, but it's the same set, but they just painted yeah. it and moved. Yeah, moved some of them. There's a <laughs> there's a really funny scene in that though where the blind students are being sort of terrorised. And the, the, the for something so long ago, they're really forward thinking. They're all they're all independent and stuff like that. But then there's one point in it, and when we watched it, Darren went, "Oh God, look at them all, all pretending to be blind because they go from being looking like anybody would look to they're all walking around with that with their arms in front, in front of them." <laughs> that sounds brilliant. So during the the face off between the Specie and Brother Lyle. Ruth basically tips her dusty box out all over the foyer. Yeah. Uh, and we don't really... So, it, again, there's all bits of detritus falling from this box, but we don't really see what was in there. And uh, But whatever it was, it defeats Nurse Bessie, doesn't it? Yes. To, to empty the box, it defeats her. Um, and then we've got gusts of wind, and then suddenly Charlie loses her ability to walk again. But Nurse Bessie's gone, she's defeated. And you just think, what a fucking crazy out of television. It, absolutely. And also, it's just like, the, the funny thing is about the end, um, Nurse Bessie's gone and Char- Charlie Charlie's crippled again, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. So they've just gone back to the beginning. Well, they have, yeah. Um, sadly, Nurse did make it all better, but they, but they drove her away. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, like you know, people did lose their lives, and a, a dog got hung. But you know, she. Yeah, but you know, these things happen. <laughs> she was, she wasn't all bad. <laughs> um, on the DVD box set, they, show, they always show the American version of the opening and closing credits, something which is always a little bit more filmic. Um, and sometimes, but sometimes bear no relation to what what it's going to no. what, what we're going to watch. But this one did, doesn't it? They call it, it's called the Devil's Web, um, and you see like a satanic ritual. And you see Brother Lyle being branded. Yeah. So you you do see a bit of it. What I noticed about this though is uh, the mega geek in me coming out is the music they use is stock music from Prisoner Cell Block H. Is oh god, is it? I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. I can uh, the, those the music that they used, especially on the early prisoners, is branded into my brain. Right. So I can hear, I can spot it straight away. Spot a mile uh, off. The, do you know what I just thought then about those um the American. Pr- pre-title sequences yeah that must have been a great job mustn't it because basically you'd watch the english version and then you think it was just like a little story conference where they'd come up with another two minutes totally yeah before the story totally. started. like like you said then the one on um the nurse will make it better for america it's a prequel isn't it we're just seeing 
Yeah. So your job's done for you, isn't it? Because you, you watch it, you're told what the backstory is, and then you think, oh, but the backstory's not there. That's what we'll do. Yeah, yeah. So and then you, we can't, you can't use the actors, so you, you have to, like, be close on, you know, backs of people's yeah. heads or, like, their arm exactly. or something. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great job to have. I know. Um, I, would, I wouldn't mind that. <laughs> um but yeah, so thriller as a series, as we said before, it doesn't it doesn't usually go as far down the satanic horror supernatural route as this one does. There's no, only it's, another it's one no, that I've it's seen. It's normally much more grounded, isn't it? It's grounded, and it's just it's yeah, it's based. It's you know, it's very much it does what it says on the tin. It's that thriller, thriller vibe. So stalkings, murderings, rapings, that kind of stuff. The the only other supernatural one I've seen is um, have you seen uh, oh, what's it called now? The one it's about a limousine. No, it's, it's about a... a car that's possessed. Right. <laughs> no, no, I have. I've never seen that one. It's it sounds a bit like um, the Stephen King thing, doesn't it? It's yeah, but it's not. <laughs> it's oh, not right, okay. it, it, it is not Christine. It's not Christine. It's a uh, one deadly owner. Oh, that is, that's a great title. Yeah. Um, so she buys a second-hand car and it's, yeah, it's it's possessed. I think somebody was murdered in the back of it, so the ghost of the, the, ghost of the murdered woman possessed is, is the car. Is there an American in it? Yes, it's Donna Mills. Is it Donna Mills? Donna Mills. Yes, it is Donna Mills. I've, yeah. I've just got. A, I've just googled it, and there's a picture come up with her in, in the car. Yeah. So yeah, Jeremy Brett's in it as well. He's very handsome, actually. Um, oh yeah, just just yeah. The first thing that pops up is a picture of Don- Donna in the car behind the wheel. A woman buys a Rolls Royce that has a violent past in a mind of its own. <laughs> that's the one. Rolls Royce, yeah, not a limousine. So yeah, so she is. Um, that's the second of her three appearances in the series. I think um, I've seen the other. T- I think I've seen the other two that she's done. It, it's the other one that she's in, the man, the, the the person at the top of the stairs, which is the one with the ghost in the attic. Yeah, yeah, she's she's sharing a room with with a friend. Yeah, someone someone at the top of the stairs. That's called that's in series one. Yeah, it's Donna and Mills one, and, and Judy Carr oh, on that one. That's right. Yeah, what's the one that you really love? File up on the fear. So what's that? Is that the one set in the library? That's right. There's um, there's a serial killer on the loose. Um, in this town, and um, we we focus on the people who work at the library, um, most notably Maureen Lipman, who I think is the head librarian. And we also go home. We also go home with Maureen and meet her yeah. mum and yeah. the lodger who's there. It's 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 my yeah. It's, it's that's my favourite one. I when I was about fourteen, I used to. In, I'd never put anything to paper, but I used to try and do that as a series. Do you know, like in your head, where you think, "Oh, you could just yeah. stop, start there, stop there, add this bit." But I, yeah. I, I love that one. <laughs> Have you seen the Helen Mirren one? Yes, is that the one where she's uh, disguised at the end? Yeah, yeah. Well, oh she, it's not. God. It's not the end. She, she, she's in disguise throughout. throughout, really, and then yeah. it's at the end she um, reveals herself. Fucking brilliant. Absolutely there's a, brilliant. There's a great bit in that, though, where um, it must be about nine o'clock in the morning in the hotel. I think she, she's staying at, and then it's like, good morning. She says, good morning, and then the barman says, good morning, and then she goes, sweet sherry, please. And it's like, it's nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I know it's the 70. Throughout throughout these the series, you just see lots of women behaving in a way that you would love to behave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And dressing in a way that you would love to dress. Um, <laughs> the, the way I, dressing the way they do in that TV film with Stephanie Powers. What's that called? 
Oh God, the five desperate women. Yeah, yeah. We need to what? we need to leave this island as in, inconspicuously as possible. All wear big flowery outfits and hats. Yeah, in our big primary colours. <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, so that's yeah. So that's our first foray into TV horror. Um, I'd like to come back and do more thrillers, definitely. Because oh so yeah, many I'd, I'd love to. Good old Diana Dawes. Um, it's left me wanting to see more of her work, actually. When you get when you get a few minutes, just Google um, where did they go and just yeah, watch that. Watch her sing that song. It's it's so good. Are there any, she, any of the TVAM appearances on YouTube? I think I think there are, yeah. Because also back then she would do recipes, but again it was like the early eighties, so the food is fucking repulsive and probably yeah. not edible. Um, <laughs> but then. She, she was doing it with the viewers. So we also, sometimes we'd see Diana in the studio cooking the meal, but then other times we'd see the viewers in their houses cooking a meal. It's quite inter- quite interactive for its time. <laughs> Sounds hilarious. Um, but yeah, no, I've loved that. I've loved revisiting that episode. If you are interested in seeing it, I do think that you can just watch it on YouTube. I think it's all on there. But It is, yeah. The thriller box set, which is every every episode, so it's all forty three episodes. I think it's a really worthy investment if you're a fan of seventies television, seventies horror. Absolutely, and if you go onto network the uh, website, the last time I looked, it was um, there was twenty five percent off. So, oh wow, well That's worth it. Absolute steal. Well, thanks for that, Steve. I can't wait to do another one. Oh, I'm look forward to it. Yeah. Um, okay. And um, yeah, if you want to get me, you can get me on Twitter at Johnny Larkin. I always like your feedback. Um, Steve, you're not on Twitter, are you? No, no. Just the facey. Just the facey. Uh, and you're best off avoiding Steve at all, at all, <laughs> at all costs, basically. Um, okay. Thanks, Steve. See you next time. See you later. Bye bye. I remember dancing through the velvet summer nights. Stars that softly flickered. Through a thousand colored lights Sipping pink champagne Until the sun began to rise Till morning turned our laughter To goodbye